0: don't have a theme song do they
1: no they there's have not, the, there's
0: not like here comes the bride or
1: uh well billy crystal used to sing a, a
0: song where he would like talk about all of the nominees but, right but he doesn't doesn't no, anymore and chris chris rock's not gonna do that it would be weird if he did <laughs> it would be kind of awesome if he did well in lieu of a song i mean i guess we've got songs We had a song. We just heard a song. What song did we just hear?
1: Uh, That was uh, the title track from
0: uh, Art Angels by Grimes. See? Uh, So that should be the official Oscar song of of 2015, 2016 Oscars. Um,
1: I would would not mind watching Grimes uh, host the Oscars.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um, So this is our Oscar show uh, that we do every year where... Um, we, in the middle of the show, we're going to get into the nominees this year, um, talk about the, the 2015, uh, Oscar nominees and, um, you know, pick our choices for what we think is going to win and then pick what we think should win. And that includes movies that weren't even close to being nominated, <laughs> um, And then tying in with all that stuff, we're also going to talk about two uh, Oscar nominated films from 1946, which is our uh, year in review this year. Um, We're going to talk about The Razor's Edge from Edmund Goulding and produced by Daryl F. Zanuck. Uh, And then also which stars, which stars Jean Tierney. uh, And then we'll be pairing that with her oft used uh, co-star Dana Andrews in Jacques Tenour's also 1946 film Canyon Passage, um, which, right? which, which was actually nominated for an Oscar. It wasn't, yes. Uh, I mean, yes, <laughs> it, it, it was not the uh, the prestige picture that the Razor's Edge uh, was, but it's, uh, it was nominated nonetheless.
1: So. Yeah, la- Last year for the show, we did two best picture nominees and we kind of didn't like either of them. So we, we mixed it up a bit this year. Yes, With, with one best, best Picture nominee and one movie that everyone uh, insisted is one of the best films of 1946.
0: Right. Uh, and, and like, what we're going to do in the middle of the show, we're going to, you know, highlighting movies that probably should have been nominated. <laughs> How weird uh, would it have been if Canyon Passage was, like, nominated for Best Picture? That'd be, hey, it'd make more sense than The Revenant. That's true. It'd make more sense <laughs> than uh, than Darling. Uh, That's no. true. Well, hey... Let's let's never bring up 1965 ever again. <laughs> um, so and and going back to the Grimes thing, we're, we're also using this episode as kind of our uh, farewell to 2015 in all forms uh, by playing our favorite new music uh, that we discovered uh, that was released in 2015. So Grimes was your pick, and we'll be hearing uh, tracks throughout the show that uh, you or I uh, really really responded to, including. This song, which will be uh, the introduction for our discussion of the Razor's Edge. And it's, once again, it's your pick, Sean. What are we going with here? Uh, This
1: is, of course, from the soundtrack to Hamilton, which uh, I have not actually listened to all of yet because it's really long and I don't have any time, but this is is one of the the earlier songs. So it's something that I have listened to and uh, uh, it's uh, the Schuyler sisters.
2: Rich folks love more than going downtown and slumming it with the poor. They pull up in their carriages and gawk at the students in the common just to watch them talk. Take Philip Skyler, the man is loaded. Uh-oh, but little does he know that his daughter's Peggy, Angelica, Eliza, sneaks yeah. in the city just to watch all the guys. Work, work. Angelica. Work, work. Eliza. And work, Peggy, work. the Skyler sisters.
3: Angelica,
2: Peggy, Eliza. Daddy doesn't need to know Daddy said not to go downtown Like I said, you're free to go I'm looking for a minded work. Work, work I'm looking for a minded work, work, work. I'm looking for a minded work, work, work. Whoa, 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 work. Ooh, there's nothing like summer in the city someone in a rush nick to someone looking pretty excuse me miss i know it's not funny but your perfume smells like your daddy's got money mm-hmm. while you slumming in the city in your fancy heels you're searching for an urchin who can give you ideals Burr, you Ah, so you disgust me I'm a trust fund, baby, you can trust me I've been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine So men say that I'm intense or I'm insane You want a revolution, I want a revelation So listen to my declaration We hold these truths to be self-evident That all men are created equal And when I meet Thomas Jefferson I'ma compel him to include women in the sequel Work! Look around
0: to the Hamilton soundtrack? I've not. I've heard wonderful things though. It's it's good stuff. Yeah. I,
1: I don't know that you would like it because you're, you know, all snobby about music and stuff, but
0: I dig <laughs> it There was a article in Scientific American, I think, that was like trying to explain why it's so addictive to listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. Um which I thought was kind of interesting, but
4: Yeah. So Yeah.
0: Uh, so,
1: so that song is kind of about uh, like scheming rich uh, women who are going after uh, ambitious men, which reminded me of the Razor's Edge. There you go. That, that's a good tie-in. Yeah. So, uh, you want to explain the plot of this film?
0: Sure. Uh, so, it's based on a book uh, by Somerset Maugham that is about a a man who is is. He's not buying into the American dream uh, played by Tyrone power. Uh, He, you know, he's, he's got, he's in a relationship sort of with uh, Jean Tierney and uh, she wants him to settle down and, and get a good job and, you know, support her and they'll have a bunch of kids and all that stuff. And he's on a quest for some sort of peace, spiritual or intellectual peace Uh, and so they decide to split it off and, uh, he goes off on a, a voyage and he lives in, you know, the slums of Paris and goes on a vision quest in India. Uh, meanwhile, she gets married to a, you know, a well-to-do, but kind of boring dude. Um, his his name is literally gray. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and all the while the actual, the, the quote unquote, the author Somerset Maham uh, is is a character in this who's uh, interested in, in the lives of these people and is, is kind of there as a surrogate for the audience, uh, played by Herbert Marshall. And uh, 10 years go by, Tyrone Power, Gene Tierney hook back up again. Um, and their buddy, Ann Baxter, who has kind of been on down and out, uh, but you know, having a stable and actual loving relationship, which is not what the others had. Uh, she goes off into a tailspin of depression when her husband and daughter are killed by a uh, drunk driver. And anyway, Tyrone Power decides to marry Ann Baxter, which pisses off Gene Tierney, who then does very ruthless things uh, to get what she thinks uh, will get Tyrone power back. And it's all very, uh... I was going to say it's maudlin, but I actually find this movie really funny. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, it is. It's, it's,
1: it's, it, there's really it, funny parts to it.
0: Right. Some intentional and some definitely not intentional <laughs> parts of it. Um, and no one is happy and that's basically how life is uh, in except, except, Maham. For, except for Larry. Larry's happy. Well, Larry's happy. Yeah. Uh, Tyrone powers character because he, he found, he did find some peace when he was off in the Himalayas. Um, so yeah, so that's basically the plot, you know, Somerset Maham, if you're not familiar with his stuff, uh, of human bondage and, and, um, you know, this kind of his style basically, you know, early 20th century kind of style of, uh, or, kind of a bitter take on, uh, I, you know, life, American life in particular, um, during that time, have you read the book of this or have you, I, I have not read anything. Uh,
1: I think, yeah, the only adaptation I think I've seen of any of his stuff is the, uh, the letter, the Betty Davis movie, which is, uh, which is really good. Um, I, I really liked this movie a lot. So, Good, yeah it it, <laughs> uh, it it made me want to to read the book.
0: Yeah, I um I read this a long long time ago, along with of human bond. I remember of human bondage a lot better. Um, and I don't know why I said American ideals. It's it's more like Western ideals because he's um he's he's British. He's British. Um, and. But it but it does tap into kind of that uh, you know grasp yeah, for you know uh, happiness, pursuit of happiness and stuff, but um
1: that's one of the the threads running through this book is is this kind of peculiar American search for meaning that all of these characters go about in in different ways, like uh, there's like Tierney's going after like security and wealth and Larry's looking for some kind of enlightenment and the uh, the uncle is looking for a European uh, aristocratic life. They're all kind of uh, very American approaches to life
0: right um, and yeah I I wish I could say I, I really like this movie like you did I, I got on board with it in the second half when it gets, crazy (laughs) Uh um but i think there are a lot of things holding this movie back um i i I think ann baxter is terrible in this movie (laughs) like i really do i I, I think the
1: academy award winner
0: for supporting actress yeah i think she's really bad um and 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 it's not totally her fault like the what she's given you know i mean she's she's given a lot of very big scenes uh of Disillusion. Her getting disillusioned, getting totally drunk and screaming, no, and her, you know, kid dies and all those kinds of things. Um, and it just doesn't work for me. I, that's when I was actually laughing the, the hardest when, when Ann Baxter is like at her lowest um, in like this uh, hookah den, <laughs> yeah, opium den, <laughs> opium den uh, on a, you know, rainy cold night in uh, the slums of Paris and that, that to me was just the funniest part of this movie, but um, but there are good, but there are good things, and and a flip side of that is I actually love Clifton Webb's character yeah. and his performance as the uh, the very snooty uh, aristocrat uh, uncle, yeah, the, the, the uh, gay the gay uncle. Uh, oh my god, that is so much fun, and his character actually, and the, tying in with Ann Baxter. I think this movie would pair really, really well with All About Eve, where you, yeah. um, which that movie's been really embraced as like, I, I don't even want to say camp because that movie's fantastic. It's not yeah. like it's a guilty pleasure or anything. That movie's amazing, but that kind of acidic, uh, you know, take on society, and and um, I think this movie really, when it when it does those kinds of things, is All About Eve kind of. Uh, Caddy kind of moments, I think those are great. And Edmund, uh, I mean, sorry, Clifton Webb's um, death scene is the absolute best in this movie, where he uh, he gets he he finally gets this invitation that Tyrone Power uh, strong arms out of the wonderful Elsa Lanchester, who's only in this for like two seconds, but I love her to death. Um, but this to the biggest society party of the year, and uh, Clifton Webb is really sad that. He didn't get the invitation, and he's on his deathbed, and he finally gets this belated invitation, and then he dictates his why he can't make it. He says, "I have a previous a prior engagement with my maker," and then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> now that stuff I really, li- really, 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 really like. But um, the whole. I don't know. The the whole scheming and class warfare, warfare stuff, I just kind of thought was a little too on the button, so to speak. But um,
1: I think uh, Clifton Clift Webb also reminds me of Laura, where he plays oh, yeah, a, yeah, a, a, yeah, very, he's, a similar kind of snobby.
0: He's fantastic elite.
1: in it. <laughs> and, and that film, of course, also stars Gene Tierney and in a lot of ways is about Tierney. And uh, I think this one is as well. And I think it's it's her performance that really makes this movie. I was like, Tyrone Power. Tyron Power is fine. Like he's, uh, I didn't much like him in Nightmare Alley. I liked him more here in the second half of the film, where after he's gained enlightenment, he's still like totally ineffectual with everyone that he meets.
0: Uh, That's interesting because I I really like Tyrone Power and I thought I, I do think he's better in the second half here, um, but I, I much prefer him in Nightmare Alley or something like The Mark of Zorro, which I just recently cool. watched. I, I think he's I think he's miscast in this movie. Yes,
1: yeah, um, see, I, I think I, I I think I talked about that on on our Nightmare Alley show that I like him much more in The Mark of Zorro, but uh I like him here because he's he is such a nice guy and and tyrone power just seems like like a genuine nice guy oh sure yeah the, yeah, yeah. The, my problem with him in the first half is that uh and i i think this is kind of intentional because you don't want the movie to go off on a long tangent about like hindu philosophy which uh the book does apparently but uh his spiritual crisis is always expressed so vaguely he just keeps saying like, I want to know some answers right. because I have questions. Right. But they never really like get down to an actual discussion. Of oh, good anything. God. No. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, it was like really bugging me. And that I thought was like really comical in the first half, just mm. how, how much they would assert his spil- spiritual crisis without actually exploring it. Right. And then the, the first half of the film ends with him like achieving enlightenment um, because he like saw the sunset and understood the oneness of, uh, you know, the universe, uh, which is fine. Tyrone found his power, <laughs> <laughs> but then you get into the second half, and like supposedly once he's once he's gained this enlightenment, he's going to be able to go out and help other people become happy. But he he doesn't, he keeps trying to, like he tries to save Ann Baxter and he fails. Uh, He, he, uh, you know, he, he tempts Jean Tierney into, into disastrous action. Whereas in the first half of the film, Tierney had an opportunity to do something villainous and held back from it. In the second half, she doesn't um, because she's got this desire for Tyrone power instead of her, her very gray husband right uh, the the only really you know effectual thing that he does is fake a party invitation for Clifton
0: Webb uh, uh, he every also, other
1: one of his schemes fails
0: no he also cures Gray's uh, anxiety and headaches yeah but
1: I mean the he's still boring <laughs> <laughs> well
0: there's no hope for that yeah um, yeah so, no I I get that I just um I, I think it takes too long to get there for for me. Um, it, this movie felt really long. Um, it, it
1: is really long, and and I I did split it up into over two nights because I I have children. Um, so like I I stopped at the end of the first half and then picked it up with the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it just played better that way because it was well, really like watching two separate movies.
0: Yeah, but but I also like I said I have uh, you know the movie the movie's like big dramatic moments in the second half didn't work for me because I thought they were too ridiculous um, I mean but I I enjoyed them but not in the way I think the movie wanted me to enjoy them I think it's still good I don't get me wrong I'm sure. not I'm not trying to toss this movie under the rug but uh, but it does feel like it's got a lot of um, the traditional problems you get with an Academy Award nominee, you know, kind of fetid kind of uh, movie.
1: Oh, oh, definitely. It is, it is Hollywood literary adaptation. And that, and that is Edmund Golding. Yes. Who is a, who is a competent director of Hollywood prestige pictures. Yes. Uh, There are, there are a a few moments in this film that feel like something out of the fifties, like it's kind of a preview of like a Sydney Lumet film or something like that. Uh, they're like uh, there, there are shots with like a character's head in the foreground and you're looking at another character in the background. And it's, it's uh it's very kind of a striking compo- composition that you see a lot more when, with like, when like the television generation of directors go get into Hollywood, but the most, for the most part, it's just standard studio style.
0: I did like the backgrounds in the movie. Um, there's, there's some really good, um, you know, painted backdrops like the, the Himalayan backdrop with the sun and, and then, uh, this waterfront and, uh, and there's one scene that I really, I do like where Tyrone Power in the first half, he, he's working in a mine. (laughs) <laughs> and he goes into this uh, this bar after his shift with this guy and it's pouring down rain outside, you know, and you see yeah. all these these miners coming off the the line or whatever and they're inside the bar they're having this kind of philosophical discussion and you see these guys you know walking by all covered in soot and stuff. and so there's some good compositions there, but yeah, it's it's definitely more often than not just prestige kind of workmanlike you know, craftsman stuff, but uh...
1: yeah, there, there is like one really neat kind of classical Hollywood type moment when uh, early in the film uh, the, the movie opens with this big party sequence where you're like introduced all of the main characters in the relationships. And, and towards the end of the party um, Tyrone Power and Gene Tierney are are talking by themselves and they're framed through a doorway and, and, and Power is, is saying how he wants to, to like go off on this journey for a year to try and, and, find the answers to these questions that he has that he can't put into words. And we're looking at it through the doorway and they're talking about him leaving and they're walking towards the doorway. So it's, you, you think there will be, you know, this, this very obvious symbol of, you know, going through the doorway as a passage, like he's leaving her behind, but instead at the last moment they turn and they walk perpendicular to the door off screen Mm -hmm. uh, as like a, uh, yeah, he wants to go, but on the other hand, like the magnetism of Jean Tierney will keep him there for a little while longer. <laughs> uh, and we we haven't talked enough about Jean Tierney, and we can't talk enough about her because I think this is her best performance. She's amazing in this, and apparently the char- mom based the character on her. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, like the Zanuck wanted to cast other people, and Mom wanted gene tierney because they were friends and uh supposedly she she inspired this part and she she is by far the most fascinating character in the film because because of this this one scene and she and she kind of confronts larry with this towards the end of the film where where he's um You know, he's enlightened, so he's like self sacrificing He's always going around and and helping people. But she had this opportunity to uh, capture him by by sleeping with him and not getting herself knocked up, and that would uh, require him to marry her instead of going off on his spiritual journey. And at the last minute, she decides not to, and she lets him go. Uh, basically sacrificing her own happiness for his. And then and but he never realizes that. He never realizes that, you know that he, it's, a, it's a similar kind of sacrifice to the one that happened in the war that has freaked him out so much. like one of his his buddies uh, sacrificed themselves so, so Larry could live. Uh, and that's what's like throwing him for a loop. Like he needs to find this meaning for life, but he's never recognized that kind of altruism in tyranny, who he's always seen as like this, this kind of uh, very pretty, but, but greedy woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you, you think at the end that she's like finally got like the tables turned on him. She's got the moral high ground. And then he's like, yeah, but you got Ann Baxter drunk. <laughs> So, like, she's she's this woman who had this capacity for good. She did a good thing, but which is the real Jean Tierney? Is it the the self sacrificing one, or is it the the scheming one? Right. And would she have turned into that if Larry hadn't abandoned her?
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a good uh, take on it because you know. I saw it, uh, you know, as, the, you know, the villainous version of her that comes out in the second half, um, which is really great. Like speaking of her performance, like when she the scene with her and Ann Baxter, when mm-hmm. she's, you know, setting up the, you know, her destruction, her demise or whatever. Um Tierney's face is like this mask in that scene where it's a it's a it's a look you don't get from her anywhere else in the movie where there's just like venom coming off of her. She's so Um,
1: she's so cold. And that's that's the great thing about this performance is is like Jean Tierney has a lot of performances where she's like, you know, the femme fatale, like uh, leave her to heaven or something like that. And she has performances where she's like really sweet and, and nice. But this is the only time where she has both like yeah, she kind of she 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 is bubbly at parts of this film like like she's like she reminded me of of like Audrey Hepburn at certain times she's she's that charming and effervescent and then you know in in the next scene she's so cold and so cruel
0: yeah um and so yeah so i like your take on that because you know i definitely as i was watching i i kind of went in the more conventional route and was like oh well she's just Evil, <laughs> um, and she's. I mean, and you know, the movie doesn't do her any favors in the beginning, where she's constantly harping him about, like, you know, I can't live on three thousand dollars, and um I mean, you, yeah, you know, she, even she's though she's, she's a snob, she's, she's a total snob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a good point you bring up. Uh, yeah,
1: and there's there's an amazing scene with her in the second half of the film, her and Herbert Marshall. Where where mom is yeah is that's like, a really good scene he totally understands everything about her schemes and she knows that he knows but she's so charming and she's so pretty and she's so just like full of life that he likes her anyway and it's just the interaction between the two of them is just adorable
0: well it's funny that you, it's funny that you read the scene like that because I that was another scene that reminded me of All About Eve um, the 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 politics are a little different, but it's it's like when George Sanders, you know, calls out Ann Baxter for her bullshit, you know, and is like, you know,
1: right. But that that's like the difference between Mom and and Addison DeWitt. Like like DeWitt right. uses that as to have power well, the, over her. Like how yeah, he will control her, whereas Mom is is just like fascinated by the humanity of her villainy.
0: Right. That's it. Yeah yeah mom doesn't have uh he's he's more interested in being in the sidelines of watching this thing play out than addison dewitt is you know addison dewitt has skin in the game so to speak yeah. um even though he's all he's above it all yeah. as well but um but yes um but gene Jean- Jean tierney is the the highlight of of the film um
1: yeah she is uh She's great. You know, I I have always loved Jean Tierney, but I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm smitten all over again. <laughs> she's like, she's a leading contender for my best actress of 1946. Hey, oh,
0: I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't argue that. Yeah. Um, well, Clifton Webb is my supporting actor. So, you know, that's, yeah. there you go. Yeah, he's definitely in there too. Have you seen the Bill Murray version of this? I have not. Have you? I have not. Ah.
1: I hear that it's, it's like uh, legendarily a flop or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's or supposed to be really. Well, the, no, are the we're Buffalo, Buffalo roam. Well, I think Buffalo. that's the Buffalo roam. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that either. Maybe we should do a double Bill Murray double feature of that those two mm, sometime. Sometime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our discussion of the Razor's Edge. Uh, we're going to hear another piece of music that you picked, Sean. Uh, another 2015 favorite here. Yes,
1: um, this is uh, this is Joanna Newsom which I played on our Discoveries episode because I discovered Joanna Newsom this year and she also had a 2015 album. And this is the song Goose Eggs, which I think probably has something to do with The Razor's Edge.
2: (laughs) What we bear the kiln that won't be still did not set well. The old day of like desire, like the vessels that we find, fell thin as ashes, and every season so. It's been a long time since I've come to any it, use, And it's working fast
0: Did you know that uh, Joanna Newsom's coming to play the Paramount Theater in Seattle, Sean? I right. did not know that. Yeah, she's, I think it's next month she's coming. And then guess who's playing there like a week later? Andy Sandberg. Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you could just put those two on the same bill, I'd be there. But uh, let's talk about another uh, big cultural event. Almost as big as the Joanna Newsom show in Seattle, and uh, I'm talking about the Academy Awards, Sean. Okay. The Super Bowl of movies, the movies of Super Bowls, the Super movies of bowls. I don't know where I'm going with, of bowls <laughs> uh, of bowling. Uh, it's time. It's it's uh, we're, as we record this, it's a week away. Yeah. And uh, uh, eight nine know,
1: days away.
0: I know you're uh, you're excited as usual.
1: I am. I am always excited for the Oscars. It is, uh, it is a great day.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: they are uh, terrible of course. And I enjoy their terribleness.
0: Yeah. I, I, I've, I've definitely come to more of a Zen uh, understanding of the Oscars than I did, uh, five, six, seven years ago where I took them seriously, which was a, a really stupid way of approaching them. But, uh, but there's good stuff this year. You know, twenty fifteen was a was a was a really good year for movies actually. And some of those good movies actually were nominated for actual Oscars this time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean the the nominations themselves, the categories, I think are are kinda boring. And I think the winners are, are gonna be even more boring. But you know, it it could be worse.
0: It could be worse. It really could be worse. I don't
1: but... I don't think any of the, the movies that are kind of favored to win Best Picture like it doesn't seem like there's a clear favorite right now. I don't think any of them are are outright bad. Right. Which is not something that I can say every year.
0: <laughs> so uh, as we said at the top of the show, we're going to, we're going to talk about the major categories here, um, the nominees for those and give what we think is going to win. And I got to say, you know, every year I do the Oscar picks with my family and we get prizes and stuff. And I usually win Mm-hmm. however this year I haven't done any homework yet on like what the, you know the odds are you know what the the behind the scenes you know whispers are about who's gonna win what so I'm just I'm just going off the cuff on these and which means I'm probably gonna be totally wrong on every single one
1: but yeah like everything everything is like a week off this year like normally normally we do this show like two days before the Oscars and we have like a better idea of, of the buzz and stuff but
0: yeah, I have no idea what's going on. But
1: thing, things are weird this year.
0: So. Yeah. So which category do you want to start with here?
1: Uh, let's start with uh, original screenplay. And okay. the, the Oscar nominees are Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina,
0: Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Out of Compton. All right. Now, I've only seen three of these movies. Okay. I have, I seen, don't, all, I have seen all of them. I don't think the three I've seen are going to win. I think the winner is going to be Spotlight.
1: I agree.
0: Hey! Okay.
1: What would be your winner?
0: My pick for Best Original Screenplay uh, would be Don Hertzfeld's World of Tomorrow, um, which I think is just chock full. It's 16 minutes long. It's a short. It's nominated for Best Animated Short. But I think... The amount of ideas that Hertzfeld manages to scoop into this thing um, are what make it so rewatchable and so much fun. Um, And it's, you know, I think we talked about it previously on the show, so I won't go into too much depth about it. But it's an animated short about uh, a young girl who's visited by a clone of herself from the future who then tells her about you know, her life and, and where the world has gone at this point. And it's philosophical and, you know, depressing and full of black humor. And, uh, it's constantly entertaining and, uh, I, there's enough there for, uh, a full feature length film. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's just, uh, one of the most exciting and uh, original screenplays of the year. I agree. It is, uh, it is definitely one of the
1: best of the year. Um, I should, I should say before I do this, uh, every year I hand out my own fake movie awards. And like I've done the last couple of years, I'm going to live tweet them during the Oscars. So oh! <laughs> you don't want to tune into that. Uh, um, now I have a reason for watching. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the movies that I'm going to... Uh, pick for these right now are not necessarily what my answers are going to be a week from now. Um, but, uh, I'm going to do the best I can. Okay. I just, I don't want to give everything away, but I'd also am not going to make any like fake choices or something. If you know what I mean.
0: Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh,
1: so right now I would say, uh, the forbidden room for original <laughs> screenplay. I, uh, yeah, the uh, the guy Madden film. I think we we've we've talked about it. we talked about it from uh, from Vancouver. Uh, just the the ingenious nesting of all of those insane narratives. I, I can't not recognize that as,
0: as greatness. I think it's I think it's a phenomenal choice, and we're going to hear more about that film uh, a few times on the show. Sure. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There, so, yeah. so for
1: <laughs> for adapted screenplay, we have The Big Short, Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I I'm I think I think it's gonna go uh, to The Big Short.
1: I think so. <laughs> I think so too. Um, I I really want it to be Carol. Because that is a film that really got got screwed in the nominations, and in a normal year, I think it it would. But for some reason, people seem to really like The Big Short.
0: Yeah, Um, it's yeah, it's one, it's it's it just seems like the most uh, Academy pleasing option there because it's. I mean, I guess Carol. You can argue Carol's uh, like. a, you know has some sort of social significance you know the oscar likes to pat themselves on the back for you know recognizing stuff <laughs> yeah i mean but but i think the big short is really the 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 real one that would would take the cake on that but you know
1: yeah what uh, do i know well what is what do you know what is your pick for a well, screenplay
0: my pick is actually one of the other nominees, um, and uh, I'm gonna go with Emma Donoghue's uh, Room, which is uh, she adapted herself from her novel. And uh, Room is an interesting movie because it, I really did respond to it. Um, but the funny thing about it is, is that you know everybody kind of you have your own. Everybody's got their own uh, way they appreciate movies. Some people are really attached to you know, stars and they really, I I go to see a movie because of this star, you know, but I really like the, 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 the thing that tends to sell me on a movie is the direction, you know, who's directing this thing. That's usually what gets me in my butt in the seat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And room, I really, really like almost everything about room, but it is, it is a film that the direction (laughs) is not anywhere within you know, 10 miles of my appreciation of that movie. I think the screenplay is really, really good. Um, I think the performances are, are fantastic. Uh, I think the story is very riveting. Um, it looks good. Um, but the actual direction of the film is kind of just, it's kind of
1: terrible.
0: No, it's not terrible. <laughs> I don't think it's terrible, but it's it's very anonymous. And I. Uh, it, it, th- there's nothing that really gets me excited about it. But I really like the screenplay for this movie. So um, that's my pick.
1: Right on. I, ha- I haven't seen it. It's the it's the only one of these ten that I haven't seen. Is it because you're afraid? Yes.
4: <laughs>
1: Honestly, it is. I I really like Brie Larson, but yeah,
0: she's really good. And and here's the thing about this movie. This is how I I, I usually hate child actors, but mm-hmm. the kid in this movie I don't know the name right now off the top of my head, but uh, really good. Yeah.
1: So that that, that is what I hear. What is uh,
0: your pick for best adapted screenplay? Uh,
1: for for the same reason as with uh, Forbidden Room, uh, uh, Miguel Gomez's uh, Arabian Nights, mm. which is uh, six hours long and weaves together a whole bunch of different stories about uh, kind of contemporary Portugal of varying degrees of realism, uh, kind of inspired by the story of Scheherazade.
4: Mm-hmm
1: uh yeah i think it's uh i think it's really great
0: yeah one um, i have not
1: seen well it opens this week in that's Seattle. right that's right so you can go see it all six it, hours
0: it's kind of an adventure yeah yeah okay
1: sure maybe i will uh no it's uh it's very good uh supporting actress the, the nominees, nominees are the nominees are Jennifer Jason Lee from The Hateful Eight, Rooney Mara from Carol, Rachel McAdams in Spotlight, Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl, and Kate Winslet in Steve
0: Jobs. I I think and I hope. Now this is where you get into when we start talking to actors. This is where we start arguing about what's a supporting and what's a you know lead or whatever. Um, I am going to go with my heart on this one. Uh, I think Rooney Mara is actually the lead of Carol. um, And and then she should have been nominated in the lead uh, category. Uh, And I think she's absolutely fantastic. And I think she should win and she better win because she's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I have her in the lead category for my, for my fake movie awards. Uh, she, she is great. She, she's, she's great. so good. She,
0: she, she outshines she, Kate Blanchett.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're both great. No,
0: no. But... Rudy Mara blows her out of the water. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm the only one. I, can I just say this? I'm the only one. And I love Kate Blanchett. Sure. I do. I love her. I mean, I'm not there. Uh, I, I, even in the Indiana Jones movie, I love her. Mm-hmm. But I actually think a couple times in Carol. She I don't know. She she didn't work it didn't work for me sometimes in this movie. Uh but Rooney Mara is perfect the whole way through. So anyway, sorry. Um uh, uh, what do you think's gonna win? I think Who's-
1: uh I think Alicia Vikander is going to win. Um I don't exactly know why, but <laughs> from what I am seeing, she seems like everyone's pick to win. So I will pick her as well. Okay. Um I haven't seen that movie. I I won't see that movie. Uh, me either. I actually I think the other the other four performances are all are all very good. I actually I, I'm kind of surprised that Rachel McAdams got a nomination. But
0: I really like Rachel McAdams.
1: I I do too. She just she doesn't. Of all of the performances in Spotlight, I don't know that I would nominate hers or Mark Ruffalo's really, who was the supporting actor nominee. Uh, who is, uh, Who would you give the Supporting Actress Award to? Uh,
0: well, I want to preface it, and I, we talked about this on a show recently. Uh, this year is just overflowing with great performances uh, by actresses. I mean, just, it's amazing. Yes. The, the a- actor category... Not so much. <laughs> uh-uh. uh, so just I'm let, I'm letting that out there. But uh, I actually, you know, I, I went back and forth on this because I had a lot of a lot of choices. But I'm actually going to go with Maya Taylor um, from Tangerine, who I think uh, gives a probably the most grounded performance in that film that movie uh you know which t- takes place on the streets of hollywood uh follows a couple trans ladies um one who just got out of prison and trying to track down her uh fiance uh who's like a drug dealer so. anyway it, it, that movie is it's flashy it's shot in an iphone there's a lot of over-the-top stuff going on but there's there's this kind of you know humane beating you know uh real heart to it and I think Maya Taylor's performance uh, is the most grounded in the movie and one that um, I think should be heralded because I think it's really really good Uh, I agree I love that performance as well but I
1: I I honestly don't know who I'm going to end up giving this award to but right now I am leaning towards Tong Wei
0: see that was that was my second choice that yeah. was it was really hard for me i uh,
1: i just i just saw this again uh just this last week it played in in three d which is uh we did not get to see it in three d when we talked about it on the show we did not and uh, i'm
0: kicking my i i really yeah i yes <laughs>
1: the three d looked really cool you would you would have uh you you should have been there um but but watching it watching it again for like the two and a half time uh it's it's really Tong Wei's performance that is. It's she's the only really sympathetic character in the whole movie, and it's like the the younger characters are are important and we're kind of supposed to sympathize with them, but they we don't. They're just not that charismatic, whereas she is, and she just she just carries the whole like from. Like, the, the one-third point of the film through to the end, she's really the only character that you care about on screen. She's she's so good. And she had... She is so great this year in so many different movies, in, in Black Hat and A Tale of Three Cities, and even something like Monster Hunt, where she has barely, like, a cameo. She's hilarious. And they're all, like, four completely different kinds of characters. So
0: Yeah, it's it's her year. She's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, uh, Great choice. And I had a feeling you were going to pick that, which which uh, softened the blow for me a little bit. <laughs> it, it's tough
1: because she's going up against Greta Gerwig, who I've like given three fake movie awards to before. <laughs> so, You're
0: slipping, Gerwig.
1: Ger, Gerwig is a, a heavy favorite in this category. But yeah. Wrong way. All right, so supporting actor, uh, we have Christian Bale in The Big Short, Tom Hardy in The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone in Creed.
0: All right. I'm gonna go, I'm rolling the dice here. I can see this going a couple of ways, knowing how the, the Oscars play out, but I I'm going I'm going Bale. I'm going Christian Bale. Big short. Interesting
1: yeah, yeah. Every, everyone everyone seems to assume that it'll be Stallone, and it seems like every year there's like one of these categories where everyone assumes it'll be like the old veteran actor that gets it, and then they never do, whether it's like a Peter O'Toole or Lauren Bacall or something like that. so right. uh, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the upset with uh, um, Mark Rylance
0: Mark Rylance is fantastic in Bridge Spice.
1: Yeah, and but I, think, I don't
0: think he's got a snowball's chance in hell.
1: Again. I think I think it's the kind of performance that actors watch and say, "That's a really good performance." I'm going to give that guy an award.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of like um, the, the Richard Jenkins effect. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I would lo- I would be happy if that was the case. Um, but I do agree with you. I mean, I do think, like I said, I th- I can see this going a couple of ways, and and Stallone is one of those ways. But um, but Mark Rylance is is a, is a he'd be a worthy winner. Yeah.
1: So who, who is your pick? Who Um, My pick is,
0: uh, Walton Goggins for his performance as the very, very racist, um, (laughs) sheriff in Quentin Tarantino's, the hateful eight. And, uh, you know, Tarantino's renowned for his, you know, great ensemble casts and getting, you know, wonderful work out of people. And, um, that is just as much the case here with the hateful eight. There's a lot of really wonderful performances. Samuel L. Jackson's fantastic. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who we just talked about is uh, who's nominated. Um, But I think Walton Goggins is the, uh, he, he, I, his character has to do so much more. And he's kind of, even though, like I said, he's a horrible racist and all these things. He's kind of the audience surrogate at times, uh, in that movie. Um, but he, He's he's vindictive. He's, you know, misogynistic. He's racist. He's but he's also really funny. And he's also there's a lot to that character um, that that and a lot of surprising elements come out of that character as as the movie plays on. Um, And I think he's he's absolutely magnetic and uh, really great in that movie.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's that is a great pick. I, I am almost in agreement with you. But I'm going with uh, Emery Cohen from Brooklyn. Have you seen Brooklyn?
0: No, I read the book, but I haven't uh, seen the movie yet. Uh,
1: Emery Cohen plays this uh, kind of uh, son of Italian immigrants that uh, Saoirse Ronan meets and uh, uh, they date and they get engaged. And then she goes back to Ireland and he waits for her. And he's, he's so sweet. And so, just a nice guy. Like his his dream is to be a plumber, and he really likes Sorcha Ronan. And it's a really unusual performance in that you don't see male characters that are this nice and not like really like sappy or or weak or lame in movies. He's mm-hmm. he's just a good guy, and and he's so he's so charming in this performance. Like it's, it's a performance that like really kind of, kind of sticks with me. Cause all, all through the movie, I'm expecting there to be like something else, like some kind of darkness to his character, but he just is good. Yeah. I just, I, I, I just, I really like the character and that performance.
0: Oh, huh? I, I, I do want to see that film. I, yeah, you know, I enjoyed the book
1: and it, uh, it's a nice movie. Yeah, it's really nice. I I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, it's not one of my top ten films of the year. But if like every year, like like every year, there's like the old person that gets a a supporting acting nomination. Every year, there's like the British coming of age film that gets a best picture nomination, and most of the time, uh, those movies are terrible. But Brooklyn is really good. It's like the best possible version of the British (laughs) coming of age film. Even though it's Irish, it's not British, but you know what I mean. Right, right. Uh, like an education. Like, that movie sucks. <laughs> but this movie is really good. Right. Uh, so, best actress there is uh, Kate Blanchett in Carol, Brie Larson in Room, Jennifer Lawrence in Joy, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, and Saoirse Ronan in
0: Brooklyn. I think it's Brie Larson. I mean, she won the Golden Globe. I think she's got the momentum. Uh, I think it's it's a deserving win. I think she's very she's very good in this film. She has you know do do a number of things and and uh, and she does them very very well. Um, so I think I think it's her. I think it's Brie Larson. Yeah, she, she's gonna win. Yeah. Who uh, who would be your pick? Well, this is where I think this is the. Only category you and I are probably going to agree on here. Mm. Uh, although now that I said that, you're going to change your pick. <laughs> <laughs> Just to spite me. Um, but I'm going to pick uh, Zhao Tao from Mountains Made Apart, the Zha Zengke film that we saw, the final film we saw at uh, Vancouver Film Festival. Did we end up talking about it? I mean, we did the little wrap-up show um, uh, afterwards. I don't know if yeah, we really I spent think, too I much time did. on it. Okay. Um,
1: but yeah, she uh, Tao is my pick as well. I mean, I, since we saw that, I've been talking about this as the best performance of the year.
0: It's and, amazing, yeah. amazing. I mean, it. Oh, it's so good. I,
1: I'm I'm really tempted to pick Daisy Ridley. Just just to spite I know, you, me too.
0: But... <laughs> she was my number two, so yeah. I, I'm right, right there with you. But um, my God, this performance in Mountains Made a part where it, it, you know, she. She plays this woman over the course of three different time periods, you know, um, you know, a, a young up and coming uh, woman and then a mother. Um, and
1: who's estranged from her. husband. Who's estranged from
0: Yeah. And then, oh, my God. And just I mean, the ending of that movie is so absolutely perfect and wonderful. And and just seeing the look on her face during that moment is just one of the best pieces of cinema uh, in 2015. And I don't want to spoil it, but uh, she's amazing. Yeah. And this is a movie that just opened
1: uh, last week in New York. And so hopefully it'll start making the rounds around the country and, uh, and uh, people will get a chance to see it. I,
0: uh, I yeah, what, it's a... I, hope,
1: I hope they do. Like it, it got, uh, it got bad reviews, or kind of mixed reviews, I think it can, when it premiered. And then we saw it in Vancouver and loved it. And I thought it was... I,
0: yeah, it was amazing.
1: <laughs> and we were, like, we were, like, shocked at the kind of middling reviews it got earlier in the year. And then when it opened in New York, like, every review I saw was, was pretty positive. Like, the only people who seemed, you know, mixed to negative on it were the people who saw it at Cannes. So...
0: yeah Yeah, it's really uh, good you know
1: as i I say every year uh reviews from can don't mean anything they're terrible always right yeah
0: i mean i get some of the people's reservations about the movie like it's it's very heavy-handed in certain respects but i i'm okay with that (laughs) like i don't care it's that type of movie it's like that's it's it's a melodrama yeah it's who cares it's fine um it's great so
1: cool uh, best actor we have brian cranston from trumbo matt damon in the martian leonardo dicaprio in the revenant michael fassbender from steve jobs and eddie redmayne
0: <laughs> eddie redmayne's name should always come with a sigh beforehand
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> so who, who you got
0: uh, you know i think it's leo's year i think it is uh
1: yeah, I I can't imagine them giving any of these other performances an Oscar.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I think it's Leo's year, um, and and good for him. You know, it's a long time coming. We all know he wants it really badly, and you know that's great. You give, give him a stupid award so that life can go on. <laughs> you know, you know,
1: you know that every that uh, in both the '90s and the '2000s, an actor won best best actor. Back-to-back years, but that hasn't happened yet in the 2010s. Oh. Do you think Eddie Redmayne pulls it off to join the illustrious company of Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Russell Crowe?
0: I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think. I don't think so.
1: No. Yeah. No. Neither.
0: No. no. Thank God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would you give the award to?
0: Uh, this is a, uh, another kind of left field pick for me, insofar as. It's a of the films I've been talking about so far. uh, This film is much lower on my overall year rankings than anything else I've talked about. Everything else I've been talking about is in or floating around my top 10. This is, you know, about number 20 on my list of the 60 some films I saw. Um, But I love Benicio del Toro so much, like in anything um i just i he should be in every movie i think i i if i ran a movie studio he'd be contractually obligated to appear in a movie somewhere so i'm picking him for his role which you could argue is supporting but like i said the male uh you know roles it was it was pretty spread pretty thin but from sicario um the film about um emily blunt as an fbi agent that gets called into a questionable uh operation regarding you know drug smugglers in mexico um but uh, benicio de toro is great as this kind of shady wolf type guy who you're not sure who his allegiances lie with um who's had a traumatic experience in his past and uh he's awesome
1: he is uh, I wasn't <laughs> listening to what you were saying at all because I was looking it up and and Russell Crowe actually didn't win best actor back to back
0: oh well
1: <laughs> he won he was nominated three years in a row, but he only won one
0: well i'm th- I thank you for clarifying <laughs> and for throwing Benicio del Toro under the bus because I just gave a very impassioned speech about why he's so good
1: he is and- he's 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 very good in that movie that is not very good. <laughs> I
0: love him. He's in the next Star Wars
1: movie. Is he really? Yeah. In the, the spinoff movie or the sequel? No, movie? no.
0: He's in the, the episode eight. Okay. Yeah. As Laura Dern is too, apparently. So anyway, what is your pick for best actor? Is it Russell Crowe in The Water Diviner?
1: Ooh. Was that a 2015 <laughs> movie?
0: I think so. I think he directed
1: it too. Um, I think I am leaning right now... Towards Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, he's good, right? The Hateful Eight. Yeah, I Samuel L. is is terrific.
0: He's really good. Um, I I really like his performance in in this movie. I I it's not fair to compare it to other performances. I really loved his performance. I it, it, in Django Unchained. Uh, I think that was that's my least favorite Tarantino movie. Uh, which I still like it, but, um,
1: but it's, but it's a, it's a good performance. It's a, it's a very questionable character, but it's a, it's a really good performance.
0: Yeah. Um, but he's great. I mean, he's, he's great. He's, he's great. 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 Like,
1: like Samuel L. Jackson, everyone knows Samuel L. Jackson is great. Like the loud bits and then the verbose bits, but it's like he has quiet moments here. Like anything involving his Lincoln letter, is just is fascinating yeah because he's he's so clearly emotional about it but it's also a fraud right
0: (laughs) and that's why that's why uh, when i saw this the second time everything clicked for me because once you know what everybody's schemes are and stuff you you pick up on those little nuances in all the characters that are totally true to what the reality of the movie is. Um, even though you don't know who everybody is and what everything is going on, but there are these little hints and, and he is chock full of them. Um, I think particularly of the scene in the, uh, barn where the blizzards, you know, hitting and, and he's helping out, um, in the barn and he's, and he's hearing the story about why the Mexican, uh, you know, yeah, is, uh, you know how he end, ended up coming to to the haberdashery or whatever, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson doesn't buy it for a second, and like, but yeah. just the little looks on his face, oh, it's great, just great. Yeah, it's really good. The and uh, he and he gets an amazing kind of monologue in at, at the at the very middle point of this movie too. That's
1: uh, yeah, that's like it's classic Samuel L. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The other uh, the other way I was I was kind of considering is uh, is Aaron Glock in Port of Call which is a movie that like you and I are the only ones that, that like apparently.
0: Oh really? Everybody else hates it or everybody nobody else has seen it.
1: Uh nobody else has seen it. Uh I think it got re-edited for release in Hong Kong for like censorship reasons. So oh.
0: um yeah. Yeah, that's a movie that that is very gruesome to watch, but I think editing it would ruin it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's gotten it's gotten some like award nominations. Like, I think it got some like Hong Kong Film Awards or Golden Horse Awards. Like, the the supporting actor, the the kid who plays the the killer in it, got got nominations. But but I really like Aaron Kwok's performance. I think that is is good. That I'm I'm like I I'm having a tough time deciding where I'm going to go with this one next week as well. Right uh but right now samuel jackson all right all right so next is best director that's right and get there after i get off of russell crowe's wikipedia page
0: which is bookmarked
1: yeah uh best director, <laughs> it's, your, it's your
0: home screen
1: <laughs> uh adam, adam mckay for the big short george miller for mad max fury road Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaritu for the Revenant, Lenny Abrahamson for Room, and Tom
0: McCarthy for Spotlight. Yeah. Um man. I'm afraid that it's gonna it, we're gonna get a repeat here. I think I think I think Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaritu is gonna win for the Revenant um a year after Birdman. Did he win for Birdman? He, he did. did, right? Yeah, he did. Uh, I think he's gonna do it.
1: I, I'm, he probably will, but I'm gonna pick George Miller just on principle, <laughs> because I I don't want to live in a world where where those two movies get best director two years in a row,
0: right. I, I mean,
1: understand. I will continue to live in that world, but I'll just be sad about it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I won't be that upset about it, but it'll suck. Yes. Uh, who, is, who is your pick for Best Director?
0: My pick for Best Director is George Miller, director of Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I hope he... I mean, it would be great if he won. And, and you know, I, I don't think Mad Max is going to win Best Picture. Um, and if they feel like giving, you know, token awards to it, Um, obviously I think it'll win a lot of technical stuff, but it would be really great for Miller to win. And I think he deserves it because that movie's fucking incredible. (laughs) I, I mean, and, and, you know, I'm not the biggest action guy. I, you know, I'm, I was never like a big fan of the Mad Max movies or anything like that, but Fury Road is, it's, it's a step forward in so many ways. Like it's, it's such a a movie full of, of just creativity life and life and excitement and thrills and it, oh my god and and the production of it is just absolutely astonishing and for someone like George Miller to just have this conception of this movie and and put and it's a and it's a very weird movie like it's it it did really well everybody loves it but it's a weird ass movie like yeah. 25 minutes of this thing is, is like monochromatic, like black and white. And there's just, there's very little dialogue and it's, I mean, Oh God, I love Mad Max Fury Road.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the best possible version of that movie. Like... Yeah.
0: There's there. And there's like, it seems like there's zero compromise with it. It seems like the movie George Miller wanted to make is the movie that we got. And that's a a wonderful achievement.
1: Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, and this is surprising because I, as everyone who is listening to this knows, uh, I love The Assassin. I think The Assassin is is if not the the best film of the decade, then then definitely one of them. I'm still s- thinking that I might give George Miller my my best director award. That it's that's how that's how much I love. Fury Road as well. And it's so good. And uh and George Miller in Fury Road, the way just how much of of that movie, this big, you know, effects blockbuster action film is so much a George Miller film. It's how it's so much an expression of his personality. Yeah. Uh like the assassin, the assassin I think is is perfect. It is the direction is impeccable. But there's, you know, there's something irresistible about about Fury Road.
0: Fury Road. The first five minutes of Fury Road, especially seeing it on the big screen, you uh, you just want to jump out of your seat. Like the when the title card kicks in and you hear the revving of the engines and there's just like fire on the screen and like um, the way he manages to like get so much data out at you just purely through motion in that movie. Like there, there's no Time for exposition. It's just like, let's get this thing underway and you'll pick up the pieces as you go. And the 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 trust that George Miller has in the audience in being able to follow along and be invested in it, even though there there's no hand holding, there's no, you know, like Razor's Edge starts with, the, you know, uh, Somerset Maham's like, you know, uh, voiceover telling you, oh, this is this guy that I fell in love with and here are these, you know, blah, blah, blah. None of that crap. You know, it's just like, let's get this party started, fucking, you know, Tom Hardy's running from these these bald dudes, and it's crazy, and it's amazing, and it's awesome. Long live Furiosa. It is absolutely. <laughs> All right,
1: best picture. Uh, best picture. Big Short, Bridges of Spies, Brooklyn, Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, or Spotlight.
0: Now I did. Now I just said that I think you know, Gonzalez and R2 is going to win for director. But I don't want to, I just don't want to give in and say that it's going to win best picture too. I just don't want to do that. Um, And obviously I just went off on a huge rant about why Fury Road should win it. But uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go spotlight saying Spotlight wins it.
1: You know, I would I would be more okay with Spotlight winning it than the big short. You I think, think Big short's I, gonna think take it, it? I think
0: it'll be the Big Short. Big Short's going to take it, huh? Uh I Brad Pitt I, with I, Brad Pitt is a really, you know, as a producer, he's won a lot of awards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I Can can you imagine if if Birdman and The Revenant won? In back-to-back years, picture and director.
0: Oh, I, I mean, it would, like, you, we don't want this going to his head, people. <laughs> you know, like, look what look what havoc has already been, you know, wrought from this. I just, I can't, I
1: can't imagine Hollywood doing that. I think, I think they have to go towards one of their like safer social problem films. Like, I, you know, I, I would love for it to be Fury Road, but it's not going to happen, and I think. I think they'll be more excited about the big short than Spotlight, because spotlight is is so serious and so austere, and the big short is flamboyant and funny, and it's got like movie stars doing movie star shit uh, and it makes actors feel smart, yeah, whereas Spotlight makes them feel powerless. <laughs>
0: That's that's a very good uh, assessment, and uh, you're you're probably right. Yeah, I hope not. I hope it's Fury Road. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be great? Oh my god!
1: So what what is what is your best picture of the year? What is your best film of 2015?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's Guy Maddens' The Forbidden Room, which I don't think was ever in doubt. Just like Sean's about to talk about The Assassin for like 20 minutes, but. Um, <laughs> I really, room. I really
1: am not going to talk about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the forbidden room. It, it, it's it's a movie that's pretty much like created in a lab for me, basically, um, and and. You know, I've run kind of lukewarm on Guy Madden in the past. You know, some of his movies are, are I think, better than others. Um, oftentimes his movies overstay their welcome or they kind of run out of steam. Um, I've always loved his visual style and his absolutely, you know, uh, masterful way that he uses old cinema techniques, you know, to, to, to his own ends or whatever. Um, but I think The Forbidden Room is... is the greatest synthesis of of all of Guy Madden's insanity um, thrown into one movie that's actually like 15 different (laughs) movies and it's like two over two hours long. You never get bored. It's hilarious. It's easily the funniest movie of the year. Um, And and there, there's so many wonderful tangents and so many great performances, um, like by the same actor. I mean, Udo Kier. I almost gave it to actually. I almost gave supporting actor to like five people from the Forbidden Room because there's so many good performances in that movie. Um,
1: Best supporting actor: Matthew Amarek's mustache.
0: Right, you know, uh, Geraldine Chaplin. I mean, um, I and and the thing with the Forbidden Room is pieces of it come back to me. All the time, where I'm just like walking around and I'm like, Bones or something. (laughs) Um, There's so many interesting parts of it, you know. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, a lumberjack, you know, appears magically on a on a submarine twenty thousand leagues under the sea and where the men are dying but they're surviving on the air pockets and pancakes i mean the movie's made for me i mean that that and hell's a poppin and i'm good to go desert island selection i'm set so um, that's a
1: a great double feature
0: you know uh i just i i wish the forbidden room was uh as big as star wars (laughs) yeah uh so, yeah, so why I, the assa- why the assassin shot?
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't feel like I need to talk about the assassin anymore. <laughs> I mean, I obviously I I love it. It's it's great. I
0: yeah yeah. All right. Well, it's a great. It's I, I you know I'm 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 gearing up to rewatch that, and I I'm really looking forward to seeing that again. And, and uh, I I hope I respond to it. I mean, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. But hopefully, I respond to it uh, in the you know foaming at the mouth variety
1: yeah i mean i
0: it's it's very different from the forbidden room
1: (laughs) it is it it really is and it's very different from fury road and yeah yeah i mean i uh it's so great
0: (laughs) all right well let's go into our uh discussion here of canyon passage by hearing a clip uh of some more music and now we're moving into my music choices here Mm. um so uh I okay, I'll lay it out there. And I said this last year too. I'm getting older. I'm not checking out as much new music. I'm 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 getting old and lame, you know. I'm retreating to, you know, the CDs of of the 90s or whatever the the older I get. But there are some things that I found this year and and one of my favorite actually uh, one of my favorite records of the year in the last couple of years actually is a local Seattle band um, who's starting to really, you know, kind of blow up here um, called La La Luz. um, And they are four women uh, who do this kind of uh, surf guitar mixed with like really cool, like 60s uh, pop vocal harmonies um, that I think is really cool. So anyway, this is the first song on their album, Weirdo Shrine, it's called Sleep Till They Die. And it's good.
1: We talked about jacques Tenor last week i think you talked about yep. the Flame in the arrow which yes, uh, is also a movie that i watched this past week and it's uh the same director obviously as canyon passage uh, uh jacques Tenor, who i believe we haven't watched any of his films on the show before no we've not one. yeah uh, we, we talked about the the remake of cat people and uh you and i went and saw cat people and uh I walked with a zombie last year,
0: a couple years ago, I think. But yes,
1: uh, but uh, the this movie is so much better than the Flame and the Arrow, which <laughs> which is a really good movie. Which it's a lot of fun. And you can kind of see elements of of Jacques Tenor in that film. You can see what he would be interested in, just kind of the the way that the community works. But you know, that's all given short shrift to this really kind of transplanted Robin Hood plot. That's a lot of fun, and and Burt Lancaster and uh, uh, his uh, non talking buddy are are really cool. In it, Nick Cravat. Uh Canyon Passage is kind of the opposite of that movie, because they're they're both like low budget genre films, they're both shot in Technicolor. But whereas uh Flame and the Arrow is all plot and adventure and excitement, Canyon Passage is a western in which there isn't much like westernism stuff going on. It's more just a portrait of the community. And there are all of these little stories circling around this little pioneer community in Oregon Territory in 1856. And some of those plots will involve like gunfighting or a lynching or an attack by Indians or the, you know, the building of a log cabin. So it's all of like the, the plot elements of Westerns, but there's no real through line of adventure of like revenge or, you know, of settling the West or anything that you would get in a traditional Western. So Dana Andrews plays a uh, man named, uh, what's his name? Uh, Logan, Logan Stewart, Logan Stewart, who is uh, who's trying to build a transportation company, transporting goods from Portland down to this settlement called Jacksonville in southern Oregon, and then also traveling around to the surrounding surrounding area, bringing like mules and gold and women or whatever else needs transportation, because there's no stagecoaches yet, because there aren't any roads. And uh, as we kind of follow him, we meet him in Portland and then we follow him down to this town of Jacksonville and then we meet various other townspeople. There's Andy Devine who lives with his family on a cabin out uh, in the wilderness. There's Ward Bond who is like the local uh, uh, terrible human who uh, commits crimes and rapes Indians and uh, picks fights with people and is like a subhuman creature of evil there's hoagie carmichael who like kind of wanders around and, and peeps on people and and plays songs that get oscar nominated and there's a couple of women both of whom are obviously in love with dana andrews and there's dana andrews best friend brian don levy who is a uh, kind of a banker but is also like stealing from all of his uh clients to fund his gambling problem and all of these these various people that we meet through the first you know, two thirds of the film, uh, we meet them very gradually. They they build up, and then kind of their plots come to a head in the end. Which is, there is a lot of like action and violence, as there there is an alien or an an alien attack. There's an Indian attack, <laughs> and Don Levy is found out and and put on like a a kind of primitive trial. And there's a lot of violence and a lot of destruction, and then. Everybody has to rebuild the people who are left. And it's it's just this beautiful kind of encapsulation of pioneer life. Like, I, I, I love this movie so much.
0: Well, first things first. Uh, I think I, I feel the need to defend Flame and the Arrow here real quick. Uh, the Flame and the Arrow. Now, I, I get why you said that. Uh, you know, and, and in terms of like, if you're, if you're like a Jacques Tenor a tourist and you're looking for the imprints of Jacques Tenor in a film sure uh, sure. and, and he always, you know, like the reason cat people and I walked with a zombie are so well respected is because, I mean, his fingerprints are all over that and stuff. Um, but for me, flame in the arrow, like you said, is just. It's a perfect encapsulation of a rip roaring adventure film that has absolutely like zero subtext to it. Like there's yeah. not like there's none of that, um, and I get that. But it's I think it's just fantastic at what it does. So I'm just it, gonna. It say, is. It, it is. Yeah. It, it really is. I love it. But um, but this movie is very sophisticated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There is a lot uh that goes like like you said like there's so many different plot lines uh intersecting and 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 the ramifications of one thing uh, affecting another thing that um you don't quite pick up on right away but um
1: there, there are there are more characters with more complicated relationships in this movie in 85 minutes than there are in two and a half hours of the razor's edge
0: or yeah or the Revenant. <laughs> oh, the Revenant. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, to- uh, totally. Uh, I mean, I I much preferred this Canyon Passage to the Razor's Edge, and uh, I the, I mean, one I, I'm a sucker for westerns. Uh, like, I, you know, I'm just predisposed to it, and I realized that while I was watching this, the first two minutes of this movie. You know it's portland oregon you know a uh, uh, a very uh you know pioneer version of portland oregon in the rain portland population uh, 1000 right population 1000 portland uh, before it,
1: you know before you ever heard of it
0: right um
1: <laughs> when it was and, really cool
0: yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and uh and i was just like well i'm you know i'm sold i, I you know it, it's just that 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 whole world and 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 like you said the the kind of thing that this movie captures is is that sense of like first community and 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 people working together you know the scene of them building the cabin is Mm -hmm. so so great and it's so um a microcosm for everything else that's going on and you see these people working together and um and and the way that life is proliferated, you know, in the, in these, uh, the wild, you know, so to speak. Um, so I love that stuff. Um, my, my my one thing that keeps me from going whole hog into, into like insane praise for it, um, is I, I think occasionally it's, it gets a little too big for its britches in terms of the, those storylines. I feel like some of them were, uh, I don't say, want to say left uh, hanging, but uh, that uh, I wish a little more time could be spent with one rather than the other, or, you know, uh, those kinds of things, but that's small potatoes. Uh, um, it's, it's very, very good.
1: Yeah. The only, the, the closest to a reservation, um, so to speak that I have about this film is, uh, is its depiction of the the Indians who are it, it's it's very strange how the movie deals with them like at the end of the film they are generic indian threat they're they're on the war path just killing indiscriminately women and children wherever they can find them all because ward bond has uh, perpetrated some villainy against them yeah uh, as as ward bond would do uh <laughs> And I don't, I don't think that it's, 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 uh, these, these attacks are based on real, uh, you know, real conflicts in the area. There's a, there's a a series of, of uh, fights over the time. They're called like the Rogue River Indian Wars. And uh, this is kind of an example of one of the things that would happen. Like the, the U.S. Army would have like, the Indians like, confined to a, a reservation or something, and the Indians would break out and, and then go and, and attack. But in actual history, when that, when that happened, it was usually in response to the white settlers getting together and going to kill like 25 Indians. And right. then the Indians would break out and kill 25 white people. To get to get even with them, right? Uh, whereas in the film, Ward Bond does something awful, and then the Indians go and kill everyone they can find, right? Which is not fair. But on the other but, hand,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. But on but on the other hand,
1: in the in the earlier sections of the film, they are are treated more sympathetically. Yeah. Like like Andy Devine at one point says, "Well, you know, this is their land, and we've taken it from them." So and,
0: and he even acknowledges that. They don't care that we're here. They just, you know, when we're building a giant cabin, yeah. we're 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 not we're not living together with them. We're we're taking their land, basically. Yeah, so,
1: and the and, and the and the cabin raisin sequence, the the way that that ends is fascinating. Like they're they're all like singing and dancing, and and Hoagie Carmichael is playing for them, and then the Indians show up, and they don't say anything. And then yeah. they just they're just kind of standing around and everyone is very uncomfortable. Andy Devine tries to talk to them. Uh then they give them a basket of apples and the Indians leave.
0: <laughs> well, they also take Hoagy Carmichael's uh, mandolin. Right, right, after
1: strangers. breaking his mandolin.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah. I, I, I wanna just say for a second, uh Andy Devine, I love Andy Devine. Mm-hmm. He people mostly probably know him for, as Friar Tuck from uh, the Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood. Sure. Uh, I love his voice so much. I could listen to him read the phone book. I mean, he's just he's so great. Um, but yeah, so I actually I actually don't ha- I know what you're saying about the end with the Indians becoming just this kind of generic you know uh, threat or whatever. Um, but I think the movie does lay the groundwork to where that doesn't bug me. Like I, I really didn't bo- I didn't mind that so much. Um, yeah, so. Um, and 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 there are so many interesting tangents and and really cool characters. Um, Lloyd Bridges is as a guy uh, named Johnny Steele.
1: <laughs> great, some 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 great character names in
0: this. Yeah, um, Honey Bragg. <laughs> yeah,
1: Honey yeah. Honey Bragg
0: is. Yeah. <laughs> that's Ward <Lord> Bond. <laughs> that's Ward Bond character. Um, yeah. Um, so,
1: so who, who do you feel got, got short shrifted? Is it the, the two women, one of the two women?
0: Well, I, what do you think I, was I feel, missing? I don't know if it's a, it's a matter of missing, but like, um, like I kind of wanted more from uh, like explore the Ward bond thing a little bit more maybe. Cause he kind of. He, I mean, everything intentionally so flits in and out of the picture. Like we said, I mean, that's, right. that's, 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 also part of its strength, but at the same time, Ward Bond, like you said, he's, he's just kind of this bully, uh, this rapist guy, but like, I, I wish I could have gotten a little better of a bead on him, um, than him just like showing up and I want to fight, you know, and then he gets in a fight and then he disappears and then like we see him in the woods and he's like raping some uh, Indian women and then I don't know, it, just little things like that.
1: See, uh, I I I, lo- I love that characterization. I, I love that he's not psychologized. Like he's just Oh, well, I'm not
0: asking for that.
1: Well, he's just, well, there's no there's no backstory. There's there's nothing about him. He's just pure uh, he's just purely the opposite of civilization.
0: Yeah, I just in the beginning, uh, Dane Andrews is is um, staying the night in Portland and he's in his bedroom uh, and he's sleeping and he's got this uh, he's got gold with him or whatever. And someone breaks into his room that it, you know, supposedly Ward Bond does it or whatever. Um, And I wish I could have gotten a little bit more of I don't know, this this tension between those two um, is really interesting to me. Um, and, and Ward Bond's just the chip on Ward Bond's (laughs) shoulder, which is a big one. Um, I just found that part a little more, like, I wish I had a little bit more of that and a little less of the gambling addiction, um, of Brian Dunleavy. You know, like, I don't, but yeah, the small that, potatoes, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, you, you, you contrast Dana Andrews with the, the Ward Bond character, and it's like a civilization versus chaos kind of thing. Like, Dana Andrews is like pure rationality. Like, uh, uh, Ward Bond has an animosity to him because Bond thinks that Andrews may have witnessed Bond killing people, but Andrews didn't actually see it so because he is so rational and so fair he has decided not to uh, assume that bond has committed this crime uh which is a very sophisticated thing to do and it's it's you know it's very rational but then when it comes to the brian Donnelly, the character andrews goes with you know with protecting his friend who has committed crimes he is he's pretty sure that he killed a guy right after stealing money from all these miners but he's yet he still goes out of his way to defend him and not just defend him but let him, him escape help him escape and give him a gun right even though he knows that he's probably killed before and he will do it again
0: yeah, I mean, he gives him two thousand dollars to pay off his debts, and his and he just spends it all gambling away again. You know, yeah. Uh, so it's
1: it's it's this it's a fascinating kind of contradiction in Andrew's character, and I don't know if it's an inconsistency or if it's a, a complication, but I it's. Uh,
0: I, I like to it's, see it is Intriguing I, I, to me. Yeah, you know, it's and like I said, this movie there, there's a lot of complex things going on. Um, narratively, with with all these uh, relationships and and how these people feel about each other. I mean, the 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 uh, romantic relationships are really weird too. I mean, it's very strange the way things end up.
1: Yeah, like I, I think I think the it's Susan Hayward who plays the the one girl who's engaged to Brian Donlevy, right? Yeah. Uh, I think the, her relationship with with Andrews is is clear. Like you see what they see in each other, and and you have a clear understanding of her. I think the the other the other girl, the English girl,
0: Patricia, a, Patricia Rock or Roke or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think I think her relationship with Andrews is a little a little skimpy. Like yeah, I, just, it, I, I like I like how I like how she ends up like, right. wandering in the woods after a goat. <laughs> <laughs> Is pretty cool. And I I, I like that character, what, what we see of her. I, I wish there was a, like a little bit more of her.
0: Yeah. Well, I like Susan Hayward a lot. You know, Susan Hayward um, really impressed me. I saw last year um, The Lusty Men, mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas Ray's film with uh, Robert Mitchum. And she is a dynamo in that movie. I mean, yeah. just fan fantastic um and and you know she's not given nearly as much to do here but uh but i do really i do really like uh what she, what she does do and, and like you said yeah there there you see the spark between her and dana andrews it's just funny that there, there's a scene that is so weird where she's engaged to brian don levy uh and dana andrews is bringing her to him from portland they're 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 driving they're riding together to get to the to the to the town um and dana andrews keeps ragging his best friend about how ineffectual his kisses are for his fiance. yep and then finally brian donlevy's like what could you do better and then like dana andrews and susan hayward just start macking on each other like right in front of this (laughs) dude like it's really kind of weird like um which is interesting. Like, I like that. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a really odd scene. And then, and then the two guys are like, let's go drinking together. Like you yeah. just made out with my fiance, like right in front of me. And clearly she was like really into it. Now let's go get drunk. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, that's, it, aw- that's awesome. <laughs> at, at, it feels that at times like that, like it's like the rules of civilization are being built from, from the ground up. Like, like everything really is starting over like you know normal understandings of of propriety don't apply to these people because they're out in the wilderness and you know in in polite society you would not uh make out with your best friend's girlfriend right in front of him uh even as a joke but in in oregon you can (laughs) and it's cool
0: tolerant oregon
1: yeah and there's just I I don't know. I I I really like movies about about pioneers.
0: Yeah, me too. Absolutely. It, and, it like yeah.
1: makes me feel a like connection to my ancestors and and th- these people made it a little further west than my ancestors did at this time, but not much. So yeah.
0: well it's got good Hoagie Carmichael songs to boot. So.
1: Oh and That's Hoagie Hoagie. <laughs> So, so not a 19th century guy. No Chloe good, God, no. But he's uh, he's there. He's doing his thing. Doing his thing. Uh, we we didn't talk about the the Technicolor of this, which is uh, is ridiculous. Now, we have talked about Johnny Guitar before, and this movie feels like the the beginning of Johnny Guitar. There's a, there's a shot of this pink sunset with susan hayward and dana andrews that looks like exactly what you would see in johnny guitar like like that whole movie sprung out of that one shot
0: yeah well yeah well the the like i said the first shot in this movie of of like rain drenched portland uh is is uh a stunner too like they're yeah i mean they really uh came through with the, with the visual and, and just seeing, I mean, Hey, I, I love this part of the country and just seeing those green trees, you know, everywhere. And it, it's, it's gorgeous. It is very, it's just gorgeous.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the, the people's skin color, like the, the tone of their skin and kind of like the brightness of like the flesh seems different in this film than in any film I can remember. And, you know, maybe that's just like a, a side effect of like a bad, Print that was on like the TV version of this that I saw, or maybe mm. it's like something that that Tenor and his uh, cinematographers caught with with Technicolor. But like the faces pop in a way that I, I don't recall ever having seen before. Mm. Like at at times it reminded me of like a Powell and Pressburger movie. Yeah, I can see that uh, mm-hmm. from from the same era. It's uh yeah this this is an early. Like I said, Gene Tierney is an early favorite for Best Actress. This is an early favorite for for Best Picture, and like we we've seen a lot of of great 1946 films going into this, like The Big Sleep or Best Years of Our Lives. But but this is this is up there. I
0: I really loved this movie. It's very good. It's very good. Well, uh, we're gonna transition now. Uh, this is the, not quite Hoagy Carmichael, but um, I I did say. Um, that I'm retreating to the the music of my youth. (laughs) And so uh, did you know, Sean, do you remember a little band called Radiohead? You remember remember them? I am familiar. Uh, Did you know that they wrote a song for that James Bond movie that came out this year? I did not. They did, and it was not included in the movie, but Radiohead uh, gave the song away for free on Christmas. Um, so this is the song Spectre by Radiohead, which I actually really like. It actually kind of reminds me of I, the last couple of Radiohead records. I'm like, eh, a little lukewarm on, on some of that stuff, but uh, it, this is a good tune.
1: One one of my favorite Radiohead songs was written for a movie and then not... Uh, was it included in the movie?
0: Exit music for a film? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's in the credits. Oh, it's like it's the, a, the end credit. Yeah, yeah the, the end credits
0: yeah. for Boslemans Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So here's Spectre. Anyway, that's a good song too. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good song.
5: Oh uh-huh.
1: Okay, so we've been doing this for almost three years now. We've done over 80 episodes of The George Sanders Show, and for some reason we have not figured out that we need to figure out what we're going to do on the next episode before it's time to record the current episode. <laughs> so we were we were already running late to start this, and then we spent 45 minutes trying to figure out what to do on the next show. And what we came up with is <laughs> because Night of Cups is opening, uh, we're going to watch... Uh, George Romero's *Night Riders and Arthur Penn's *Night Moves, because those movies have some of the same letters as *Night of Cups. So that'll be our next episode.
0: I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really fun. Um. <laughs> uh if you were in san francisco uh you know i think i pick the Castro theater more often than any other theater when i'm doing rep but what the hell um uh, they're doing a series called hollywood before the code uh and on wednesday february 24th they're doing a double feature um of a film i haven't seen i haven't seen two seconds uh which is a mervyn leroy film with uh edward g robinson but 35 millimeter print of howard hawks's Scarface which is one of my favorite Howard Hawks films uh I just adore that film and it doesn't get talked about as much as uh, some of the later Hawks stuff but it's so 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 good oh did I say what day February 24th February 24th uh yep Scarface is
1: fantastic that is a great movie uh my pick is uh something that is going on right now it is the Portland International Film Festival speaking of the uh, the great city to our south—not not Tacoma, but further south—it uh, uh, started on February 11th. It continues for another week, and I was like flipping through, just kind of out of curiosity to see what they had playing. And it's a really good selection of movies—like surprisingly good. I, I expected kind of like a lame film festival, but but no, it's uh, it's got a lot of cool stuff uh, playing uh, tomorrow, uh, the 20th. Uh, they have Office and Landfill Harmonic, which is movie nice. at VIF. Uh I
0: like that movie.
1: Uh, ben Rivers' The Sky Trembles and the Earth is Afraid. And the Two Eyes Are Not Brothers. Uh, they're playing the Arabian Nights. They have Philippe, Philippe Guerrero's In the Shadow of Women, Patricio Guzman's The Pearl Button. Uh, and that is all just what is playing tomorrow. There's other wow. cool stuff going uh and for the rest of uh, the run and yeah if you are in Portland you should definitely be checking out these movies uh they're playing right now wrong then on Sunday so
0: yeah that's a good festival
1: it's a, it's it's good it's good stuff all right all right
0: well uh you can find out more about us at the com. uh of course don't click on the calendar part because like we just said we don't know what we're going to be doing after the next show uh we're on Twitter at GeoSandersShow. We've got an email, the George Sanders Show at gmail.com. Um, and we write for SeattleScreenScene.com. And uh, now I get to close it out with my final selection of 2015 music. And uh, this is a song from my favorite film of the year, The Forbidden Room. One of my favorite scenes from The Forbidden Room is Guy Madden made a music video for an original Sparks song uh, about Udo Cure being uh, obsessed with butts and, and it's ruining his life. So he gets multiple uh, lobotomies <laughs> to cure himself. And so this is the song, The Final Derriere. It is our final derriere for the evening. I hope <laughs> you enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely the, the 2015 song I've listened to the most the last but
5: <laughs> as i peer out of my window at night catching a glimpse and stirring my appetite can't tear my eyes off the sights on the street another You've laid into me while I observe. There goes one, two, and three. So many walking the streets endlessly. Another, Derriere, another, Derriere. Doctor, rid me of this desire. Me of this desire. Talk to me of this desire. Doctor, help me put out this fire. You desire a little bit off the charm, a little bit of the charm, a little bit of the charm, a little bit of the charm. Out on the street, you at last so relieved. Oh no, again, once again, I'm aggrieved. crap goes the whip, master passion is freed another. Derriere, another, derriere Can't look away, can't pretend they're not there for my eyes, but I no know they're still there. there Run to the doctor, it's come back again Another, derriere, another, derriere Doctor, rid me of this desire Out on the street, well I guess that is that Oh no, a derriere, I'm thrown to the, the mat. mat Now master passion is added again Take it short to the this fire, yeah, this yeah. If that's what you want, here we go. Get a little more of the top, still a little more of the top, and a little more of the top. get a little more of the top, yet a little more off the top, still a little more of the top, and a little more of the top. get a little more. Till he perceives something, tries to grab on. Gnarled fist attempts it, but now he is gone. His final, derriere, final, derriere.